0: you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome to this next episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Esprit van Heer, and she works at Unfolio and is the Operations Manager. So, welcome to the show, Esme.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Fantastic. And I'm excited because I've known you for a little while and i definitely known Dumb Wells that runs Unfolio for quite a while. And I was super eager to talk to you because I think we always, uh, uh, very frequently at least, we interview people here on the show who are already business owners. But I would love to get into some more details around the operations management side of things, because that's definitely something that lots and lots of entrepreneurs um, are struggling with, to put it politely. So that's yeah, we'll probably,
1: probably something they should also look at hiring for if they do definitely. struggle for it. <laughs> definitely.
0: Definitely. Mm-hmm. So before we get going, there is a couple of people around the world that still don't know who you are would you mind doing a quick introduction?
1: Yeah sure um, probably a few more than a couple of people um, yeah I have been building and running online businesses for the past five years or so probably the time that you've known me mads um, and I've always have a very had a very heavy focus on operations and then early last year so 2019. I joined up with Dom Wells, who your audience probably knows quite well, and Onfolio, and I'm the currently the COO there. And so I guess for those who don't know Onfolio, we buy, build, and manage profitable online businesses, basically.
0: And um, yeah, how how long did you say you've been working
1: there? Uh since officially since April 2019. So right. A little short of two years now. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. What's been the biggest challenge? Oh.
1: So Starting off with a doozy. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's no, no real contest with that. I think it's just our rapid growth. So just to give everybody a little bit more context, over the last year, we've grown from five team members to 25. We've um, grown from – we had – uh, I think like 25 assets under management, all the way up to 52, and now we've reduced that back down again. Um, and we've like five xed at least our MRR over that time. So we've it's just rapid growth. Um, our our landscape is changing so much every day, or at least every week, and I I constantly have to change my approach to keep up. So uh, you know, a system that worked two months ago may well not be the most appropriate thing now. Um, now that we have bigger assets, better assets, um, more team members, bigger goals, generally higher standards for how we do things. Um, yeah. And I think that challenge is daily. Like every day I think about how everything can be done better. I, I I try to put systems in place before any sort of, I don't know, perfectionism holds me back, but with that thinking, with getting something put in now being better than nothing happening for a long time and doing that, I guess there's always room to improve, especially as we grow. So there's just always, there's always things to improve, not necessarily fires to put out. There's always fires to put out, but there's just always room to improve. And I, yeah, I think that's probably the most challenging thing, but also the most rewarding. I think it gives me the most growth. Oh.
0: Yeah, and it's it's difficult to hold back as an operations person and you know do things that aren't perfect. Um,
1: yeah, but it, there's no point doing something, you know, eighty percent of the way and then not actually implementing that system or not actually doing the thing because you've then you've done nothing. Um, so sometimes, in order to keep up with the growth, you just have to put something out there that works better than what it did before. Um, but in doing that, there, then there's always things to perfect and always things to improve. Um,
0: and, and I think there's a good place to, to to really kick off the conversation because I think if if we look at some of the biggest challenges most business owners have, it is actually around processes and workflows and really building these out. So like how do you guys look at this? How do you, How's your management structure around making sure you have the right processes in place, that they're being reviewed, that they're being improved? Like, how, how do you ensure that's happening?
1: Yeah, so processes specifically, we have a company wiki. Um, and so for for individual departments and, the, and their actual processes of the day-to-day, um, we originally had the starting team so me dom and and the other couple of team members we would just film videos explaining what we're doing anytime we did anything and then that went into the wiki and then as we started hiring more people we got vas to transcribe those videos make them into proper sops and then now we have everybody has access to the wiki to edit it and then um Whenever somebody improves on any process, they will go in and they'll update it um, accordingly. So we're ever evolving the processes there. I think on one podcast, you might have mentioned that you guys systematically go in every three months and um, make sure everything's been updated. And I think we need to probably do that as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I like that. And, and how do you manage? Because th- this is definitely a fear for many people. So, how do you manage to make sure that when someone updates the process, it is being updated well? It's not like the process not changed to something worse.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Originally, we had it uh, so it automatically saved. Uh, we have since gotten rid of that function. We now it's a you you basically it's a form and you request an edit and then me or one of my project managers will just make sure that the um, either if, if we can tell if it's within our area of expertise then we will say yay or nay to the changes and if it's not because I'm actually not f- well, obviously I know SEO now um, to a certain degree but it's not my area of expertise management is um, so then I'll go to say if it's an SEO SOP I will go to the SEO team and I'll make sure that this is correct um, before I update anything because yeah, that is the fear that it, it gets worse. <laughs>
0: yep. No, I'm, I'm a, I mean, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of, of really making the people doing the work update their, their SOPs, but it's just uh, a lot of people are very afraid of this, but it's just about building a, a good system around the, the approval process, right? Because if you have a good system around that, then, you know, Everything yeah, for sure. Else becomes
1: easier. Yeah, for sure. And you do want it, it, I mean, it makes the most sense for the person closest to the system to be updating the system because even even the head of SEO, like he knows everything that's happening, but he's also probably a couple of steps removed from the everyday, you know, like keyword research or whatever. So it totally makes sense for the suggestions to come from the um the people closest to the tasks, but like you say, it just needs a good system to review, and yeah. that's totally possible and and not that difficult, really.
0: I agree. Mm. Yeah, and I I mean the the way we typically do it would be that the direct line manager is the approval point, and yeah, sometimes if it's not the expertise, exactly, I should say they might need to go and ask someone else. But but uh, what one of the key things, right? So so when you're when you're dealing with processes, very often people see what they're doing, but they don't necessarily understand the downward impact of changes. And that's one of the key reasons why it's really important to get processes approved, right? Because it might be that changing something makes sense to you, but that changing that might actually have an effect somewhere else in the business that you don't see or that you don't know about. Um, And that happens frequently, which is, yeah, that, that definitely creates a, a, A need for this approval right
1: yeah that's a that's a really good point and something i hadn't really thought about is that um yeah when you you might be looking at something granular granularly but not looking at the bigger picture and and something that might be easier for you to do in this way um might actually make it harder or impossible for the next step or for something down the line to occur so that's actually yeah that's a great point
0: yeah but but that's usually the the key reason, right because if you were, if you're only looking at that area, uh, you know you, you couldn't principle sometimes have, have people just do it themselves but 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 the key reason is that often the people doing the job uh, they often don't have a full company visibility and don't understand how all processes impact down the line right yeah, and that's, uh, that's absolutely key. Yeah, totally. okay. So that's good. And I'm really happy to hear you build a solid system around it. I mean, I know Dom had had built some solid systems with uh, human-proof design before, uh, but I'm I'm happy to hear he (laughs) he have a good operations person in doing the same in Unfolio. So that's good to hear.
1: Yep. Yep. They were were big, big boots to fill. Dom only has good things to say about HPD. So he's obviously had some good experience um, hiring the right people. And I feel like he's... um, done it again if I don't mean to blow my own horn but
0: excellent well it's good blowing your own horn once in a while (laughs) Mm.
1: Uh,
0: okay so other challenges like what what's sort of your high level management philosophy how do you think about management and and what's sort of your mindset around managing people
1: yeah so I mean there's two two different things there like management in and of itself is um is yeah I guess what what I'm trying to say is what I do comes into two things it's management and then it's just operations And, and they're not necessarily the same thing so with management um first I think um I think that it's it's basically just that the art and science of getting the best out of your talent that you've got um, while getting your talent to bring out the best of your company if that makes sense. So the reason why I look at management as both management and operations is that yes, you've got management, you have to um, you know, look after your staff, you have to do your one-on- ones, you have to, Um, make make sure they've got everything they need. But in in order to make sure they've got everything they need, you have to set up the systems around them properly so it supports them. And so I think that's why in my head they kind of go hand in hand. Um, And so then if I think about operations specifically, I look at four things. I look at cash, I look at stability, I look at efficiency, and I look at permanence. And actually... While I was just talking to you, I was thinking that I should change this somehow to people, products, profits, processes, because then it would be the four Ps and that's probably been done, but I feel like I should just trademark that. Um, But yeah, so cash, stability, efficiency, and permanence, and I kind of look at it in that order. So cash in terms of revenue, stability in terms of like profit and and debt management and cash reserves Um, efficiency in terms of bottlenecks and processes and um, redundancy reduction and then permanence in terms of vision and looking after um, you know the mission and and how the team feels working there and then in terms of management more uh vertically so just just management and not the operations side i definitely look at that um yeah yeah i mean i i guess i already said it just just supporting them so that they can all do what they do best without anything in the company slowing them down if that makes sense
0: that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of Mm. sense and then i mean a lot of the problems in many businesses is the, pro- is the operations manager or is the business owner, right? I think one one of the things that probably the majority of clients I work with, to be honest, the biggest bottleneck, the biggest challenge is them, right?
1: Mm.
0: And not not from a perspective they're a bad person or whatever, but from the perspective of uh, getting stuff done uh, yeah. requires action, right? And oh. if you're bottleneck is sitting at action, then you're slowing the world down.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think in response to that, if you were to ask me why I can set up these systems and why I can do what I do and and what makes me kind of good at what I do, it is 100% that I took myself out as the bottleneck as soon as I came into Onfolio. So I think when I first started at Onfolio, I was essentially a project manager, um, there were lots of things to do, and no one overseeing them getting done. There was also like a lot of client communications, and and very few boundaries put in place for the clients. Um, and so the first thing I did was I I came in and I set up a project management system to make sure it worked. I I then hired someone who shadowed me for a bit a bit doing that project management, um, starting with what I liked least, which was client comms, and then I very quickly shifted um the entire responsibility of project management onto this lady that I hired and then that gave me the space I think taking all that stuff off my plate and taking me off the bottleneck there um, to think about you know running the actual company not just like the day-to-day operations and then eventually we got someone in um, specifically for client comms and we also got someone in to help her do her job so that she could also level up and think about the systems um more wholly and less granularly but absolutely the the number one thing I did very early on was get myself out from that role as um the project management project manager and I, I I think what that takes is also knowing that I I am not the best at that I'm, I'm good at a project management but like someone can come in and do that better. And I think that's probably the same for a lot of your audience is that they, it's difficult for them to let go that they might be the best at doing that task. But as soon as you think that somebody else can do it better, then it's such a win-win. It becomes much easier. I I think, I think
0: honestly the challenge most people have is they know someone can do it better. They just struggle to find that someone, um, so very, very often they're like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I can't trust the people. I can't get them to do the work. I'm not comfortable letting go of this. And so it's it's always a mix. But I think a lot of it is is uh, that there's two aspects. One of them is trust in the process. Right. And I think most business owners struggle with this. But but again, like if you never let go, the business is not going to grow. Right. So in. in I was going to say 99.9, but probably 96% of businesses, and I'm grabbing numbers out there here, but mm. in vast majority of businesses, the, the lack of growth is based on the business owner, right? Mm. Um, because they are not letting go. They're not letting the company grow because they stay in too much control, and they they want to do everything. They want to be at the at the end of every decision. They want to at the yeah. end of every choice that's made and that just significantly slows the growth of any business right I'm, I'm actually coaching guy at the moment who I mean he've gone from having a really small business while I worked with him where he was making every 10k a month and uh, last month he was making 150k profit and he's still thinking very small like he's still like oh yeah but you know I can hire this guy at six bucks an hour instead of seven bucks an hour I'm like, your business is growing vertically, like literally, yeah. <laughs> literally vertically, right? Your focus should be action much, much more than saving five bucks, right? Like the time he spends additionally trying to hire someone for a dollar an hour less um, cost him so much more money and opportunity mm-hmm. than what he's actually saving, Right. So he's not saving the company money, finding a cheaper employee. He's costing significant amount of money um, because he's not taking actions, Right. And I think that's, yeah. yeah, that's definitely the situation a lot of business owners are. In. What do
1: you, what do you normally tell business owners that find themselves in that spot that do believe that they, um, that it's difficult to find someone with their skills or with their ex- expertise Um how do, you, how do you try and crack that right. mindset? So
0: he, here's the thing. It is, right? So you don't find a copy of yourself straight away. Now, mm. here's the thing. If you run a business where you need a copy of yourself to have that business run well, you don't have a business. You have a glorified job. And what I mean with that is mm. if you haven't made the processes and what your business do narrow enough, for someone to come in and do take a significant piece of work off your plate, you, you probably haven't structured your business well. Right. So mm. let's, let's take some example. Like I, I work with a lot of people who run like agencies and that's a little bit similar to your situation. Right. Um, mm. But, but they, they run an agency and they try and do so many things. They're like, Oh yeah, you know, we do social media, we do SEO, we build websites, we do all these different things. And Mm. the problem is that the driver behind all of those services is typically the owner, right? Because he knows and understands them, and that's why he offers those services. But the challenge is, when you're in a situation like that, you will absolutely never be super successful. And here's the reason. You cannot manage all of those processes in a way that you can get other people to do them and to manage them, right? And this is the biggest Bottleneck with many people, and the, the time where they start becoming successful is when they cut those processes down to a level where they can actually follow and train people at a proper pace.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a it's a shift from that founder mindset to a CEO or um, yeah a business owner. Even if you don't want to be CEO, and and, and it is different, and the sk- skills are different, and the mindset is different.
0: It, it's really the mindset, yeah, uh, to some extent, right? But it's really the mindset change between doing what I call a cash grab. So basically, anytime someone has money and needs something, you want to help them mm. because mm. you are a small business and you need more money. Uh, mm. it's, the, it's really the difference between that mindset and then getting into the aspect of saying, you know, what is it that we do? What is the one thing we do really well and then mm. only... Focusing on customers in that segment and only building and optimizing that one process mm-hmm. before you move on to anything else. Because reality is if you do that as a business, you will be successful. Like unless the, the the process you've decided to hone in on is really unattractive or way too costly or whatever, uh, yeah. you, you will be over time at least, you you will manage to do well, right? But all the companies mm. who are trying to do all these 17 different things at the same time, they always fail. They're always held back by the founder. And the second the founder ends up in hospital with COVID and can't work for two weeks, the mm. company is screwed, right? And if you mm. if you have a business where you being in the hospital for two weeks absolutely killed the business, reality is you don't have a business, right? Mm. Like you, you really just have a... a Uh, Very often, well-paid, glorified job, but nonetheless, it's a job, right? And if you can't walk away from that, my my recommendation is generally narrow down the scope of what you do. And again, with most people, you ask this question, they'll all say yes. You look at your clients, it's always 80-20. So it's 20% of your clients take 80% of your time. And it's generally 20% of clients that doesn't fit your core offering. Right. So if you're doing something, client come in and say, Mm. Hey, you know, I want this a little bit different. They are the trouble.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think we recently found that actually. So I did a um, essentially a a cost uh, breakdown of each of our assets against all the time tracked by everybody. Um, And we recently also put in a few heuristics of, you know the rules around clients that we will and won't take. The rules around assets that we will and won't take on. Um, and my prediction, my intuition around the sites that um, were taking up too much time or were overly resourced for how much they um, paid us and management fees. I f- I felt like I was correct, but I couldn't prove it until I until I did the data. And then I did. I calculated the data, and it was it was truly amazing. You know, we let go you know, a bottom third of our portfolio and we just opened up so much time and that time now put into our top third of our portfolio has by far surpassed what we lost, letting go of that bottom that bottom third. Um, and it's crazy because you're right, it is, it is the entrepreneur mindset to never leave any cash on the table, um, especially when you're starting out. But as soon as you grow to any sort of, decent size it's impossible you can't do everything for everyone
0: and and it's a hard process like what you just mentioned it's a hard process to go through like it's not easy to go through and cut our customers and say hey sorry we can't service you anymore right that's not easy and it's it's not a particularly nice feeling but exactly as you say it explodes your business when you do it if you do it well
1: yeah Well, yeah for sure and and it's easy to let some customers go, you know, the customers that aren't that nice, like it's easy to let them go. But actually in this case, the reason we, we normally fire clients pretty quickly if they're annoying um, or just trouble in any way. But the fact that these sort of bottom third of our portfolio clients were still there was because they were genuinely nice people. I think we, the reason they were still there is that we just didn't want to disappoint them. And a lot of them were also our legacy clients. So they were who started the business. You know, they were the ones that got us into, well, got on folio up and running really. And so it was it was quite difficult to let them go. However, in saying that as soon as we realized that um, for a lot of them, we also just don't really have the time to put in into them properly and to manage their, their assets properly for what they do pay asset management fees they can probably get a better service somewhere else because they we are focusing on um, just bigger and different assets now and we told them that and i think that was the way it was easier to let them go because it's it's better for them and it's better for us it was it was a win-win in the end
0: but yeah. but, but it's, it takes a lot of realization right and it it, oh, yeah. it, it really is different for difficult for people but 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 really like the the best way to really scale a business is really bring down the number of things you do, bring down the number of things you're supplying and just become really good at it. Because here's the thing, when you're trying to do 10 different things, you're never gonna automate it. You're never gonna be in a situation where everything just runs, right? It's always Mm -hmm. challenges. And the, the thing is, what happens is that when you bring down the amount of stuff you do to very few, then you become very, very good at those few things. And what Mm. happens when you do that is, one, it costs you less because you have more expertise and often you can actually automate your way out of some of it and so on, right? So basically you become more effective. Now that also means that the the impact on the customer is better. So customer, you become more effective, the customer get better results and it actually costs you less money to deliver service, but you can actually charge more money because you're delivering better results.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. The whole
0: output of that process is actually that you make significantly more money as a business because you can charge more, deliver better results, and mm-hmm. it costs you less. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you exactly. You you have a better product, you have happier clients, you make more money, there's less plates spinning. It's just all positives. <laughs>
0: Oh, but, but, but yeah, very, diff- very like difficult, very difficult.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> it, exactly. Like you said, it was, it was a bit like a, it was a bit like a breakup where no one, no one did anything wrong, you know, like no hard feelings. It was just, it's for the best for everyone. And it was, it was difficult. And we, um, you know, we, we took some time to talk to all the clients to, um, do the last couple months of work, hand them over any, any outstanding research that we had done for them, um, We gave them some suggestions of other people to go with. So there are ways of lessening the pain, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's also difficult. I think not for me from an operations point of view, because this is all I think about all the time, but I I think um, for the, for the business owner, if you're someone that's a business owner and you're doing operations um, it's difficult, it is difficult to leave money on the table. Like it just, it just is um, until you realize the huge upside. But it's hard, hard to wrap your head around that.
0: Re, 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 it's, it, that's the thing, right? Like reality is you're not leaving money on the table. However, mm. you, you're costing the company money when you do it. But, but the realization of that and the time it takes to realize that is, is yeah. quite significant in most businesses. Right?
1: Yeah, I definitely put that under the category of things that you might read in a book, but that you struggle to understand until you've lived through it. Opportunity cost is is huge.
0: Yeah, mm. definitely, definitely. What's some of the biggest challenges? So you you've mentioned one already, but what's some of the biggest challenges you've faced, management wise, in non-folio?
1: Yeah. Okay. So so my last example was was the growth, and that's sort of a positive challenge because it's symbiotic. As the company grows, I have to grow. I do a lot of professional and personal development in order to grow and my growth then in turn helps the company grow. It's very cyclical and it's very positive. But I think if I have to think of maybe something I've been doing not very well. um, Yeah. so, So, okay. So something I need to fix, which I know I need to fix and I'm working on right now is having clearly defined roles and KPIs in place. So we have site KPIs, but in terms of, um, human like human KPIs people um, when we were smaller everybody wore different hats we were a tiny team everybody was just getting everything done but very quickly we specialized everybody down and most team members now do very distinct things and, that, and everybody knows what they they do but I have never sat down and written out their role definitions. And I've, I've also never really thought about what their KPIs are. I think as a result of just growing so fast and just putting out fires. Um, but at this point we do have a bit of space and we also have the, we're, we're properly resourced to, to now think about KPIs. And so, I th- yeah, to talk about um, something difficult that recently happened was we recently let someone go um, and I'm lucky that they had sort of the wherewithal to see it coming and it wasn't a surprise for them and they were very gracious about their exit, but it was so much harder to do when there was no track record of KPIs hit and missed and just no data or formal reviews around it. And and I think, yeah, I think maybe it was one of those things that maybe I had subconsciously rejected in the name of maybe startup and, moving fast and trying to build a culture of trust somehow, but I have now definitely learned that lesson that I'm uneasy about the lack of data. And and also, I think it's not fair for me to tell someone that they haven't met my expectations of them when I never told them what my expectations were, so. Right.
0: Exactly, yeah. and, and yeah. by the way, this happens in large, large companies all the time. I always tell people, if, if you have a staff member getting that you have to fire, if mm. they don't know it's coming, you haven't done your job well as a manager, mm. right? Mm. And, and fundamentally, you failed as a manager. Now, the, the, the fundamental is uh, it, it, it doesn't always have to be KPI driven. Mm. However, it has to be very clear to people what the expectation is. So, mm. you know, sometimes you, you might not be able to put a KPI on absolutely everything, but you know, like one KPI should be, you know, you have to run this conference with a, with a profit, right, as mm-hmm. an example. So mm-hmm. it's not always like just down to, to super solid step-by-step KPIs. But the fundamental is that if people don't have clear expectations, it's very hard to fault them for not hitting them, right? So you're, you're mm-hmm. totally spot on with that because it's, it's so important for people. And by the way, people are motivated in a different way. A lot of people is motivated by targets. A lot of people mm. are motivated by having numbers to chase, right? And, and the challenge is if they don't have those numbers, if the boss has not given them those numbers to chase, uh, they might do a good job. But the point is with those numbers, they could do an amazing job. Mm. Right? Yeah, so, yeah,
1: yeah, totally. I, I 100% agree. And I think, um, I don't think I know that that is what I'm, working on now and I think uh, also the antithesis to that is it's also easier to see if people have been successful and to reward them again with with a group of 25 it's I want to be able to reward everybody when they've been doing a good job um and I also don't want to reward people uh arbitrarily so I, I just, I want to know if they're, if they're hitting their goals and that's great, then I, I can reward them and I can um, give them a high five or whatever. But I, I need to know. And I think the, the, just the lack, lack of, the lack of clarity and the lack of data around that, um, yeah, I'm not no longer comfortable with. <laughs> so
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. And I think it's a big one, right? It, it, for some businesses can take quite a while to get some good KPIs together. But basically my recommendation is just start with some numbers, right? Uh, yeah. And I mean, we live in a time where you can get people anywhere in the world to, to sit and pull numbers manually. What I always suggest is for people to initially, if if it's, if it's not simple, just get someone to do it manual for a period of time. Because what, yeah. what typically happens is in the beginning, you'll often change your KPIs quite a bit just because mm. you realize, oh, I'm missing this number, I'm missing that number and so on. So I always tell people initially just do it manually get someone in the team to do it manually and then over time you can always go in and automate the various reporting resources and you know where the data is coming from and so on but just get it moving
1: right? and what do you what do you think what's your opinion on in input versus output so i i imagine what my thinking is that i want all my kpis to be output focused in terms of i don't certainly don't care about how much time they put in but in terms of measuring their success. So say um, say one of the SEOs have a traffic goal. So they've got some sort of, you know, grow traffic on the site by 10% in the next three months or whatever. Um, that might be their output KPI, but in order to do that, the only things they can actually control is, um, you know, do X amount of new articles, you know, you just, those are the things that they can actually control. So, so what do you so measure? And Do you do you measure one and then look at the others and then say, okay, if they've hit all those things that they can control and it still didn't eventuate into an uptick in traffic, maybe there was a Google update or whatever, then that's fine.
0: The ideal thing is always look at the, what I call the end, end goal. Hmm. So the challenge is even if you use traffic as a goal, hmm. like, there's traffic you can get very easily but that might not be traffic that converts into sales but so that mm. traffic to you might not be worth very much so the, the whole point is that traffic is typically in some cases it is but it's traffic is typically not the end goal it's a sub goal just like writing articles right and mm.
1: um,
0: so so the, the way i tend to look at it is for every employee i find it really really important that they know and are clear about the end, end goal. However, um, there is definitely situations where you cannot give people the end end goal to manage um, just based on their influence, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and in that case, you, you still 100% want them to know and understand the end end goal. But mm. yeah, you, you, you often get forced into setting a, a sub end goal.
1: Yeah you're, yeah, you're totally, you're totally right. So I can think of that playing out. There are people who are overall responsible for the revenue um, and the, tra- you know, and in a part of that is the traffic. And so, you know, their KPI would definitely be the end goal, but then there's people underneath them or at, at sort of the lower levels that um, will have much less of an influence on that end goal. Uh, and then you but, might but- set, set something else.
0: If, if you take, it, like, so one thing people often miss is that most KPIs tend to have a quantifiable and a qualifiable
1: hmm.
0: result, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> sometimes it's difficult to measure. So for example, a content writer. Now, yeah. the goal is not just write X amount of words of content. That, that's often what it is, but it's, that, that's not the real goal. That's not the end-end goal. Right? because the end, end goal is actually write content that converts and get your customers in and, and hit certain SEO metric or whatever it is. Right, But yep. Yep. that's often, like for most roles, like the same if you look at link building. right, It's not just building a certain amount of links. It's building a certain amount of links within a certain quality metric. But if you could get some even better links, that would be better. Right. So in, in most KPIs, there's both a focus on quantity and quality. And, and sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to match those up well, but yeah. it's important to think about both aspects, right? Like Because a lot of time people just have one KPI, but there's often a hidden, let's call it KPI, That there's a hidden number that mm-hmm. is also important to hit behind it, if that makes sense.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. The quality definitely comes into play. I was again, thinking about certain certain expectations for um, say uh, an SEO or a, or a secondary level SEO, maybe not our top SEOs, like something that I would want their um, managers to be looking at is the quality of the audits they do or the quality of um, the, the SEO plans they make, um, which is definitely a, a quality thing. And, and I'd have to try and quantify that um, more specifically, because that seems a bit fluffy okay. to me. But yeah, yeah. Well, well but, here's but, the but it you is don't rewarding. Know,
0: you, you don't know the quality of a plan until it's executed.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: reality is sometimes you can have a plan that you say, oh, that's shit. Well, try to put it into action. It might work a yeah. uh, lot better than you expect, right?
1: Totally. So, totally.
0: Yeah. Okay, Esper. I think that has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, If people are eager to get hold of you or eager to talk to you or or connect with Onfolio or the likes, what's Mm -hmm. the best way to do that?
1: Uh, Yeah, probably just my email. So that's S-B-E-S-B-E at dot not.com. Excellent. Although maybe it'll redirect. I don't know. Don't try it. Don't try it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Excellent. (laughs) Um, Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for, for having me on, Mads. It was nice to... Talk with you.
0: Likewise. And uh, yeah, to the audience, we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.